Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. To the people that have done this, your time is running out. You will be found and you will be dragged before court. The small businesses we know in every sector that are being hit here. Do we want all those local little cafes gone? Our differences should be celebrated. It's something to embrace. Different backgrounds, different races. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. My dying wish will be for the women of Ireland that because of what has happened in this past year, maybe my last year on earth, they will be able to trust that their lives are in safe hands, that they will be minded and cared for at their most vulnerable, and that everything will be done to give them the lives they deserve, the time they deserve with the people they love and who love them and who need them in the world. There will be others who will continue this fight without me when I'm gone, because we are all in this together at the end of the day. We all come from that same place, from a mother's womb. This is everybody's story. Uh, yeah, the voice of Vicky Phelan. I thought it was appropriate to open with it this morning. The news broke during yesterday's opinion line of her passing at the age of just 48. Your newspapers this morning, we don't do them generally, but your newspapers are filled with her. Pictures of her, quotes from her, front page of the Echo just uses three simple words, a remarkable woman. The mirror, she fought for us all. Uh, writes the front page there. The Daily Mail, Vicky, a fearless warrior for Irish women. The Irish Independent, I don't want apologies or tributes. I want change. And they're all, they all are there. All of the newspapers have her words. The Sun, the Irish Sun actually puts it best this morning, as does the Star, with the same headline. Thank you, Vicky. Three very, very, very simple words. Um, the, the words from the front of the Irish Independent are words that she wrote two years ago um, after the death of Ruth Morrissey who was another one of these cervical cancer sufferers she wrote and we, we were searching for a recording of this this morning we couldn't actually find a recording of it so we don't believe she ever spoke these words into a microphone as it were but she said I don't want your apologies 
I don't want your tributes. I don't want your aide-de-camp at my funeral. I don't want your accolades or your broken promises. I want action. I want change. I want accountability. Uh, again, the strong words of Vicky Phelan. A book of condolences will open at midday today at the City Hall and will stay open for the next uh, couple of weeks because yesterday, uh, even in the, in the minutes after her death was announced, the outpouring of love, and that's the only word, love and admiration for her. Um, from people who never met her, never knew her, may have heard her on the radio, seen her on the television, but never met her, never knew her, identified with her for so many different reasons. Lord Mayor, Councillor Deirdre Ford will open that book of condolences at, at midday. Deirdre, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Thank you for giving me uh, the opportunity uh, to say that we are opening the book of condolences this morning at 12.30 um, on behalf of, to give the, the opportunity to the people of Cork to sign the book for her family, and I hope that as many people as possible will come in and sign it. I was very saddened indeed to hear of her death. What a remarkable, courageous, compassionate woman. You said it yourself. What an absolute star she was. And, you know, her passing will leave a huge void. She said it herself. She doesn't want accolades. She wants action. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incumbent on all of us now. Today is a day of mourning on her passing. And we send our condolences to her children, her husband and her family and the wide circle of friends. But that's what she wants. That's her legacy. So it's incumbent on all of us to follow through with that. That's the best thing we can do for the future mm. for Vicky and all the others. Deirdre, I know that the office of Lord Mayor is apolitical in nature, but you have a, a long time spent in politics yourself. Do you think she was failed by the system at times? Do you believe she was? Well, you know, I, I think, if you don't mind me saying for our uh, PJ, today is a day of mourning to respect her passing. All these conversations can and will and should be happening as time has passed once she has, you know, been paid due respect. But there there is no doubt that we have a job of work to do. Yeah, yeah. she made huge progress. And the duty, I think, befalls all of us, men and women. And I think in a way, particularly men. To carry on her her work, to carry on what she wanted and drive it home. Well, you put it very succinctly there. You know, she was a unique person. It's every so often a star comes on to our firmament that will affect us all. And I've never heard her complain about her own situation. She just did her best. She gathered those closest to her to try and give them precious memories. And I think she fought the battle of a lion, like a lioness, actually. And, you know, the, these people don't come along too often. And that's why everybody now is has an outpouring of grief for her passing. She is lost to us, but we can pay our respects by following on the good work she did. Mm. You will be the first name to sign that book at midday, as is your your custom. Do you expect, I personally think this might be one of the biggest books of condolences collected in quite some time. Do you know what, I agree with you, PJ, because she touched everyone's heart. Everyone seems to know her. You know, even as you say, if we didn't meet her in person, 
We all know her story. We all travelled some of that road with her as best we could. I thought the, the one of the saddest points was when she went off to America and she went through such treatments and they didn't uh, really give her the comfort she was seeking, I think, and that she had to come home and take a decision. That must have been a very hard journey for her. Mm. I think the women of Ireland... Um, she stood up for, and Deirdre, as you, you know, the expression was one. First of all, it was Mary Robinson used the expression, Manon Heron. And it's kind of become, didn't she become, lastly, Lord Mayor, and, and I guess as a woman yourself, Deirdre, didn't she become an icon for the for Manon Heron? She definitely did. Um, you know, and I think even as time goes on, no one will forget her because they can't take away, no one can take away what she accomplished and what she did. She she has paid a high price. But as I say, we don't want to go down that road today. It's a time for grieving, a time for sadness, a time for remembrance, and I suppose a time for showing love back to her by signing the Book of Condolence, which I hope people will come in yeah. to do that. It's a great way to show respect and which will be given to her beloved family. Indeed. And thank you, Lord Mayor. Lord Mayor Councillor Deirdre Ford, opening that Book of Condolences at midday today. Let me listen back once again. Let us listen back once again. We pulled this out yesterday at short notice um, when we heard the news of her death. Her last appearance on the opinion line was Christmas Eve of 2019 when as I said yesterday her health was reasonably good for someone who had a terminal illness her health was reasonably good in December of 2019 it was the last substantial interview that she gave to us here on the opinion she was on I think one or two times since briefly but this was the last sort of in-depth interview she was on air with me for the bones of a quarter of an hour Christmas Eve of 2019 let's have a listen back now once again to some of that I pick and choose my battles really at this stage because I can't get uh, get involved in everything because you know and in fairness Stephen Teep and Lorraine Walsh you know the two other patient advocates they're very respectful of that. They know, you know, they're able-bodied, they're healthy, you know, they're, they're, they're not trying to fight a disease as well like I am. So, you know, they don't expect me to kind of weigh in on everything. And I don't because, you know, I have to watch my health and I have to try not to get too stressed really because unfortunately the nature of what we're dealing with, you know, oftentimes, you know, you're, you're having to fight things or to, to fight for answers and that I'm the type of person that that would stress me out, you know. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I really have to choose my battles very, very carefully. So, you know, next year I'm not going to do as much. I've kind of made a conscious decision that I need to start pulling back a lot more because the reality is, PJ, like the drug I'm on, I will be coming off it in April. I'll be on it two years at that stage. And after that... You know, they take you off the drug for three months, see how your body uh, copes. I see. Uh, and because I haven't had any shrinkage in over a year, the chances are it will probably start growing back. So I need to start looking yeah. at um, alternatives, which I already have. Are you so, scared about uh, that, Vicky? Yeah. So I have a clinical trial back uh, lined up over in the States. But, you know, I mean, ideally I'd like not to have to go because, you know, it's up in sticks and moving to America um, and my daughter's a teenager, so, you know, I don't want to be moving her. So I'd probably just go over on my own and come over and back and have family visit me, really, you know. But if I have to do it, I'll do it, PJ. You know, if it gives me another year or two, that's, that's, that's what I'll have to do. So next year, really, for me, is focusing on my health and trying to 
trying to figure out, you know, what I can do to keep me here for another while. Another while. And she survived nearly three years more. Uh, that was Christmas of 2019 and she passed away November of 2022, November 14th, 2022 at the age of just 48. Um, just to read those words again. And as I said, we, we searched high up and low down for a recording of these words. Couldn't find them um, last night or this morning. But these words were words she wrote after another cervical cancer campaigner and sufferer died two years ago and of course they'd become friends she became friends with so many of the other people this was after the death of Ruth Morrissey and these are words that Vicky wrote I don't want your apologies I don't want your tributes I don't want your aide de camp at my funeral I don't want your accolades or your broken promises I want action I want change and I want accountability another campaigner from the time uh, I mentioned yesterday that 2019 had been a a year in which the story had just dominated the news and rightly so the the cervical check story from when it broke in April 2018 right through 2019 it it, it dominated and one person I spoke to a number of times in the course of that year and indeed before and since was was Carol Murray Um, Carol, good morning Morning PJ she inspired so many people. I know she personally inspired you greatly. Yeah, she did. Like, I met her once, actually. we There was, um, like, a kind of a... Not fundraiser, but it was, like, um, kind of just a, 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 a thing we had in Mossford, like an art exhibition, but it was just all to do with the cervical smear. Just as more of an awareness kind of thing, you know. So we met in that... Um, before, um, it was another girl had arranged it and stuff, so we kind of met briefly, but within the group, I suppose, we all kind of, you know, supported each other and stuff, but she was, she was like, you know, an advocate for all of us, you know what I mean? Both women that are here with voices and for the women with no voices, you know? Yes, yes, and a few of you came forward with very strong voices. Hers, it has to be said, Carol was the strongest, the one she led from the front, but so many people got behind her. And she, she started, herself, and to be fair, Stephen Teep and yourself and others, started a movement. 221 Plus is a movement now. Oh, definitely, like, and I think it makes people aware and, like, it makes people like, I even know now women that were very quiet at the start that just didn't want anyone to know if they're, to know which is, they're entitled to, you know, keep private about things. But there's more and more women speaking out more and I, I think it's all from started from Vicky, you know. Um, like, I strongly believe, I said it then and I'll say it now and I'll say it in another 10 years, that if she didn't actually blow it out of the water that time, so to speak, <laughs> call a spade a spade, yes. then none of us would actually be the wiser, you know what I mean? I strongly believe that that's the only reason we all found out about it, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's also important, own. Carol, because that was one of the first things that I mentioned yesterday when the news came through of her of her passing. Um, yeah. And I felt it was so important, and some people have said it, if it wasn't for Vicky refusing to be shut down Unsigned, yeah, the non-disclosure yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I strongly believe, like, <clears throat> so I'm only one story of, like, 200 and something, which we know of, like, God knows how many more maybe has, you know, 
maybe ha- passed away and didn't have any like fa- close relatives that didn't Correct. even find out. And I often think of this like there's probably some people that were first under the well, carpet. And Carol, didn't. Carol, I'll tell you now, there's one I know of who, <coughs> who was her name was never recorded, but, right. but but I knew her well. And that's one. That's one of probably yes. many PJ. Like, and I I strongly believe it. But like even myself, like I remember 2018, which I've said before. Um, I was called up, so I had an appointment um, in April and the doctor was sending me off for, like, um, MRIs and whatever, you know, just for myself, peace of mind. Now, this is before any any mistake came out to life. So this was in April and he told me I was going for an MRI and that. And then I got a letter saying to come up. I got an appointment for two weeks later and they said I was going for a biopsy and... I, I, I just thought I was being re-diagnosed because when I rang that day, they said I wasn't going for biopsy. I was actually going up for results. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, I, I said this before. It was like, brought me back to 2011 when I was actually diagnosed first. And um, so I suppose this was in April and I was called up two weeks later then in May. But in that two weeks, it was when... Um, so I was called up the week before Vicky's court case, right? And yes. then... Two weeks after her court case, when she came public, is when I was called up for. I thought it was for results or biopsy, but in actual fact, uh, the doctor in question at the time was actually giving me the news that there was mistakes and the audits and all this. Like, so that's how I was told. But I, I strongly believe I was up like three weeks before I was up with him that day, and nothing was said about any audits or any mistakes. You get me to the same doctor. So it was only in that two-week time frame then that Vicky came out. That's when I was called up. So I believe if she wasn't at the court that time and went public about it, I wouldn't I wouldn't even be having this conversation with you right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, None yeah. of us would be the wiser. And that's only my personal story part of it. You know what that's I mean? Right. So, right. you know, And it was just such a coincidence with the time frame. Do you get me? Like, you know, I was only up three weeks before and nothing was mentioned. you know what I mean? And it was the same doctor and everything. And as you know, there was letters that were going around in 16, which they should have known about, which I do know they knew about, you know? Yes, yes. And in a way, Carol, it goes even further than her speaking out and refusing to be silenced was when she was in her doctor's surgery and the doctor slipped out for a moment and she as she says herself in the film have you seen the film by the way Carol have you? Yeah no i just seen it briefly yeah. and like it's just She snuck a look at her own file Yeah and I often do that now myself even since like you know like various like even the kids when they're in hospital I'm constantly searching the files to get me I don't know is it self-doubt I have or lack of no, trust No but I, I always say this to people you know the file is your file. Any exactly, patient, any you know patient I mean? at any time should be asking, can I read my file, doctor? Do you know what I mean? As you said, it's our files, you know it's what I mean? Files. And we're entitled to it, you know? Because, like, like, I strongly believe, another, like, maybe I'm a bit sceptical or whatever, PJ, but I strongly believe in my own personal uh, case that that day when I was up and I the doctor told me about the mistakes, I, I said already on, on your air that like I was just relieved leaving that day. I wasn't being re-diagnosed and it just didn't sink in for a while about the whole mistake and everything, you know. Yeah. It was more the fact I, I was relieved I wasn't being brought up to be told I had cancer again. And I suppose I said to him that day, like, oh, there's a letter supposedly went around in 2016. And he was like, oh, like that, you know. And I was like, because as you know, I already had another case in 17 about 
different situation in the same circumstances. I do, I remember that. And he, he, I strongly believe that that letter, that was in 17, that that letter was not in my file in 2017 because it would have been found, you know. Could so have, I reckon yeah, it was only stuck in in 2018. Yep. You know? Yep. Well, if you watch... Because he didn't know I had a court case beforehand and his jaw dropped. I'll never forget that expression right, on right. his face, that's you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and watching the the film, Vicky, which I hope gets shown on television very, very soon, it's how she personally took on her own investigation was so inspirational. Carol, I leave it there with you and uh, wish you well. PJ, thanks. And look, my thoughts and my prayers are just going out to her family and it's just, you know, it's just a horrible situation that none of us should be in, but... I'm just, I'm just, my, I'm just heartbroken for them anyway, PJ. All right, thanks right. a million. And thank you, okay. Carol. Thank you. Thoughts with you. That's Carol Murphy, uh, cervical jet campaigner from Cork. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Gary says not one politician should show their face at her funeral, especially those from the last two governments. Michael, on email to opinion at 96fm.ie, I hope politicians and government ministers will show respect for her wishes and stay away from her funeral. Her passing should not be used by any politician for a photo op or to score political points. 0818 96 96 96. We'll continue this conversation next. You could win a 100 euro penny shopping voucher. 100 euro. With Cork's 96 FM. To do is take our 10 minute music survey. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Take the survey for your chance to win a 100 euro pennies voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or see 96fm.ie. A lot of people messaging to say that politicians should heed her words and, and not attend her funeral. If I read them one more time at the risk of boring you, but I will. She said, I don't want your apologies. I don't want your tributes. I don't want your aide-de-camp at my funeral. I don't want your accolades or your broken promises. I want action. I want change. And I want accountability. Did she get it, I wonder? Did she get the accountability that she wanted so much uh, before her death? I know that Gabriel Scali has one more report to write uh, he wrote a brilliant report into the whole treatment of Vicky Phelan and the rest of the women and he is back for a review of that report early, I believe, in 2023. I look forward to talking to him then. We've had a good relationship with Dr Skelly on the opinion line during COVID uh, from a public health point of view, but I'd, I'd love to speak with him when this is all over from his point of view. Let me talk for now to Jess. Jess, I know that you spent a lot of yesterday in tears when you heard the news. You never actually met her, but you did communicate. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, and do you know what now? Even just listening to you talk there about her and just hearing about on the news, like I know Stephen Teep was on RT this morning. It's just, it's unbelievable, like, do you know? Because I don't think any of us thought she was going to, she was going to pass away. Yeah. Like I would have traded messages with her a bit, I suppose, more so after I found out that my smears had been misread. Do you know, and yeah. it's like, do you know, everything that woman was going through, like, and she still found the time to talk to people she didn't even know. Yeah. You've never spoken about that until now. What happened? No, um, I suppose, look, it was um, like some of your listeners would be familiar with my story. Um, I spoke to you at length numerous times at this stage, PJ. Yeah. Um, Endometriosis, menopause, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I suppose, look, I I was having surgery after surgery here. It wasn't working. My smears, funnily enough, I had three smears in the space of, I think, two years. You normally, at 25, only have one every three years. So I was, at like, I had the first one because I was the age to have it. I had the other two because I was having symptoms. Everything came back normal. And I was having all these surgeries, these gynae surgeries. And, you know, my own consultant actually said to me at the time, I can't understand why your smears are coming back normal, which is why I was sent for follow-ups. Um, and I suppose, look, I had the hysterectomy um, at the age of 27 in October 2019. And I was in uh, London. I had it in London. And on my return home, uh, I'd gotten a letter in the post that day to ask me to present for screening as soon as possible. I mean, what a gut punch, like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you, you lost your service in the operation. I lost everything, PJ, to hollowed me out, I suppose, is the kindest way to put it, like. Um, and you know what? Like, that had to happen. And if, if my smears had been read properly, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Maybe it still would. But I lost two years of treatment time. Do you know, I mean, I still have my life. Yes. Vicky doesn't. Irene Teep doesn't. Lindsay Bennett doesn't. And, you know, like Vicky, I suppose, like you said, that quote about she wants accountability. I mean, where's the accountability for the people that signed off on, on our smears being flown out of the country to a substandard lab? Do you know, there was no accountability there. I think two people from the HSE resigned and that was it. Do, do you think like they don't that... understand PJ like they don't understand I'm sorry now for cutting across okay, you but okay. they, like they just they don't understand the horror that families are living with they don't understand the horror that my family lives with and I lived do you know what I mean but they don't understand the horror of what these other women and now that they've passed away their families face without them knowing that it was preventable or knowing that you just didn't know the truth yeah. and I think that's what people are failing to realise yeah, I mentioned there when I was talking to Carol, and it's it's a name I would never mention on the air. Um, but I knew someone, one of the people who was missed, and it was only after the 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 two twenty one plus movement started that um, her husband um, told me what had happened. And she was yeah. she was a dear friend of mine years ago. Herself and her husband were dear friends, and I only realised now, my God Almighty. It was happening. It was happening really before anybody knew. Oh, it was. And I suppose, look, I've been lucky enough through work to be part, to be, to be a, a, an observer of some of the briefings that the two to one plus group have given from time to time. And I mean, like there's we're still not sure. Like we know the audits finished, I think, in mid to late 2018. But how many people were missed after that? How many people weren't included in the audits? There's never been a full audit. The only samples that were audited were samples where the person later had developed cervical cancer to see if their earlier smears were missed. Do you know what I mean? There's so much we still don't know. And Gabriel Scally, all credit to him, did as much as he could, but he's working within a system that won't change. Yeah. Stephen has spoken to me here about Dr. Scally more than once, and, and I look forward to, hopefully when he has completed his work, uh, to talking mm -hmm. with him. But I, I always got the impression, listening to Gabriel um, speaking about this, he himself was angry. Very, 
very angry at what he discovered. Yeah, he was like, and you know, you could tell that from, I suppose, that like the, he wasn't a man for giving a lot of interviews, but the ones that he did, I always felt it was more that what he left unsaid yes. said the most. Yes. Do you know, and I just like, you know, I suppose like people are trying to honour Vicky's memory at the moment and I think that's important. But what I also think is important is that like, do you know, I suppose we realise that like at the end of the day, this shouldn't have happened. Do you know what I mean? This was avoidable. And that's the worst part of anything like this, PJ. Yes. Do you know, none of us should know the name Vicky Phelan. None of us should know the name Lindsay Bennett or Irene Teague, but we do. And we do, we know them for the worst reasons. Yeah. Or Emma Vic Vahuna, who I spoke to many times. Yeah, yeah we should. Oh, PJ, the, the, the 10 or 40 names that are out there and the over 200 names that we don't know. That's right. And the hundreds more. Yeah. Possibly that we don't know. How, and like, it's just yesterday that you reveal and, you know, people know what this did. You and I know each other well and are friends. But I never knew that about you, Smears. And... You never revealed that until yesterday. Um, is there, is there any way that Jess? Is there any way that society, and I use that as a general term, can say to Vicky, "We heard you. We're listening. We'll act." I suppose you know what, BJ. That's a very big question to ask. Like, I, I don't think even to be honest that the blame or anything like that lies with society. I don't think it's on us to make to make any, to, to change things. Now, I think like the the people that caused this to happen in the first place, they're the ones that need to make changes, whether that's leaving their jobs, whether that's actually coming out and apologising. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Holding your hands up and saying, I did wrong and I'm sorry. I made a terrible error. But we haven't even had as much as that. That's the worst part of it. And like, where where do we go for accountability? Do you know what I mean? That's the thing. Nobody's ever held accountable. Yeah. I want action. And Vicky I want wanted change. that accountability. accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to come back to the, the first point that I was quick to make yesterday, had she not turned around to them and said, no, I'm not signing that non-disclosure order, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't even be talking, you and me. Good, nobody would know. No, and you know what? Like, I don't think, I don't think, I suppose that people realise like the gravity of a situation like that. Do you know what I mean? Because I mean, she, the, the woman was terminally ill going through this this court case, and this is what she was dealing with. And they had the absolute cheek to turn around and say to her, "Sign that non-disclosure form before you leave the room." That's her story to tell if she wants to tell it. She gave them their answer. Do you know? And look what she did. She, the amount of women that she brought up behind her, do you know, setting up the 221 group, the amount of support she gave to women that she never even met. That just says a lot more the measure of that woman. All right. Jess, good speaking to you, as always. Thank you. Jess, new mail line. 0818 96 96 96. Can I recommend you look up something, actually, on the 
TG Cahar player. Now don't be afraid, most of it's in English. It was a recent programme they did on TG Cahar about menopause. Gronya Shorga front of the programme and it's on their player. Jess plays a huge part in it uh, and there's a lot of her story in it. It's worth, worth a look. 0818 96 96 96. Kate says, I think the biggest factor in all of Vicky's story is the way they tried to keep her quiet. And she was wonderful to take it all on herself while she was sick. She did it for us. There were women saved because of her. Think of that. Not because of the politicians lining up to attend her funeral or make statements. My thoughts are with her children and all who knew her. Morning, PJ. The government let Vicky down and others. Please respect the decision in death, says Burr. Thank you, Burr. Uh, yep, Connor. People failed Vicky Phelan, but she saved the lives of so many. Uh, and uh, loads of people messaging us this morning to say that no politician should turn up at her funeral and no aide-de-camp should be at her funeral. If you've never heard the term aide-de-camp, by the way, some people haven't, you'll usually see at high-profile funerals, you'll often see a soldier sitting in the front row of the church or the second row of the church. They're called an aide-de-camp. They're a member of the military assigned to represent usually the president, but often the Taoiseach as well. Uh, and I think it's a permanent appointment. I think the the soldier is permanently appointed to be the Taoiseach's aide-de-camp or to be the president's aide-de-camp. And in that statement that she wrote uh, two years ago, she said, I don't want your aide-de-camp at my funeral. 0818. 96, 96, 96. The Takeover. On Cork's 96 FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Sophie's Rooftop Restaurant at the Dean Cork. Serving lunch daily over breathtaking views. See sophies.ie. Turn up the music. On Cork's 96FM. The housing crisis didn't just happen, it was caused. It doesn't just continue, it's caused to continue. And the idea that it's impossible to solve is a myth, because we had crises before, and we solved them before. Those are the general premises behind a book by Professor Rory Hearn. Um, it's called Gaffs, and he's analysed, and on a real, to use that awful expression, deep dive into the history for and the reasons behind and the persistence of our housing crisis. Rory, good morning to you. Good morning. It didn't just happen it was caused. Start with that. Yeah, I suppose many people who are, you know, living the housing crisis at the moment are, and people looking at it across the country are just, in some ways, it's gone. It feels like it's going on so long that it, it is almost like, in a way, the health crisis that it's been always with us. But of course, it hasn't. Um, you know, Ireland in the 1950s and 60s had, and 70s, you know, didn't have a housing crisis. We actually had 
um, a time when councils, our local councils, Cork City Council, Cork County Council, built tens of thousands of homes um, for people of all different income backgrounds. Um, and the crisis that we're in today comes from a number of reasons that I talk through in the book and explain, and I really tried to get into it because on the one hand, it is complicated, but on the other hand, it, you know, I show that actually it's it's straightforward enough that at the heart of it, ultimately, councils stopped building social housing and, and they were directed to do so by government. It was back to the 1980s, the economic crash then and the economic recession then continued into the 1990s. And I really kind of showed during the Celtic Tiger we really, and, and I talk a lot about this, you know, the, my, you know, kind of what we call the the philosophy of home and the meaning of home, and we lost it. it you know, housing became turned into property, and almost so many people thought of themselves as property investors mm. and buying through money at people to buy multiple properties. Um, and the idea was that yeah, councils wouldn't build anymore, and then we had the um, crash, and really over the last decade. I showed that policy over the last 10 years, really, rather than going back and seeing what we did right in terms of through the councils and through the state building homes, um, we just turned to the private market, particularly in Dublin and the wider area, the investor funds. Um, and then in places like Cork and around the country, essentially nothing happened. There was no real effort put into thinking, how can we get back to building um, social and public housing? And it was all about reinflating property values for the banks um, and NAMA. And there was very little thought put into what was going to happen when you have a generation growing up in the, or, you know, trying to get homes and living in the private rental sector. Rents continue to rise. They can't afford a deposit and there's no social housing being built. And so I kind of show that this didn't happen by accident. As you say, it comes about from policy decisions. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, every day, we we have a particularly good Twitter site here in Cork, Rory. Uh, Frank and Jude run it, Derelict Cork. And they go around and they take pictures of the buildings that are lying idle and lying derelict. And it's a very sad statistic that there's enough derelict property out there and property lying idle, unfinished and all of that. There's enough out there to house everybody. So why isn't it being done? Yeah, it's a very good question. I was actually down with uh, Frank and Jude last uh, week in Cork. I was launching my book in Waterstones um, and it was a lovely event and, I, and Frank and Jude brought me around um, and, you know, I saw the scale of dereliction and, you know, I, I live in Dublin and there's dereliction up here. Um, you see it, you go to every small town and village across the country, you see these derelict buildings, um, vacant uh, buildings and in a way, I, I describe it in the book, it's like we, developers, if we look at it, you know, and I do say developers have kind of dictated policy. And what I mean by that is what a developer wants is they want a big greenfield site, build a huge estate and sell it off for as much as they can. They don't own or aren't interested in the messy, complicated, difficult work of, you know, buildings that are derelict and vacant in our towns and cities. And policy hasn't looked at, okay, what could we do to tackle dereliction and vacancy? And when you, you know, the councils, again, it does come back to this, you know, I, I, my kind of my central argument is that councils were told you no longer do housing. 
That's what they were told for the last 20 years. Resources weren't put in. So when we look at, for example, vacant um, vacancy officers, people within the council who are responsible for dealing with vacancy and dereliction, up until this year, there was only a half time, and in some cases, nobody employed to go around and try and you know see what's going on in terms of dereliction and vacancy. So in part, literally, our councils and our government haven't prioritised it, and we have become almost normalised. So there's a lot that could be done, and you know I talk about in this in the book, and I and I do describe the book as well as a book of hope because I don't want people to despair and think that there's nothing can be done. There is a lot that can be done. Yes, that's exactly where it was going to go, Rory. Um, generation locked out is what you refer to. Now you also you're very you're you're quick to point out that there are solutions, but can they be done quickly enough? to save a generation of young people that are couch surfing, homeless, stuck at home in their mother's box room. Can it be done quickly, Rory? I I think it has to be. I think we've no choice but to try and make it happen as quickly as we can. Um, And I do talk about their stories and the human impact of this and the psychological, the mental health impacts um, and I, you know, nobody has written about this before in terms of particularly young adults and not so young adults living at home with their parents. The what I describe as the infantilization of them, you know, this inability to become a full adult, you know, even to have family, to have children, to, to have a home of your own. The impact of the rental insecurity on people, huge mental health and stress that's happening and, and impacting on people. But in terms of the solutions and quickly, I have been making, you know, proposals for example, a state construction company that we should have set. I made that proposal five years ago. Mm. If we had done it five years ago, we would be in a very different position now. So it's, you know, we can continue to to say, we can continue to say that, oh, you know, these things won't happen quick enough. But you have to start somewhere and you have to start making really, I would argue, really big changes. Like, for example, you know, Barcelona have a use it or lose it policy with property owners who aren't using their properties, where they have six months to either use it, rent it, you know, get somebody in there. Or the council essentially takes it off them and puts a tenant in there. And these are the sort of things that we could do. You know, the modular homes is another thing that we could be expanding rapidly. Yeah. Um, we, we could put the funding, you know, we have six billion going into a rainy day fund. I think there's a lot of things like, you know, affordable housing providers, cooperatives, like we used to do in the past. A lot of housing was built through people coming together themselves, being given loans by the state and um, supported and building homes. And we have a huge amount of land, a huge energy in our young people that we should be getting them involved, harnessing that and supporting them to, you know, to be building, to be, you know, involved in designing rather than everything just being left to, oh, well, developers are doing it or not. And um, there is people emigrating. You know, I know young people, they're contacting me all the time saying they're emigrating because they don't see a future in this country. Good jobs, and good salaries, just... but no home. No home. Exactly, yeah. You, you talked about the use it or lose it. And something that comes up repeatedly, uh, Rory, when you start talking about things like that, which make absolute sense, is constitutionality. There seems to be an awful lot of nonsense tied up in the Constitution, or so we're told. 
Yeah, there is. And this is something, again, I, I write about in the book that um, our, our constitution has a right to private property in it, um, a very strong right to private property. Um, and councils and government have have said that, you know, we can't intervene, for example, like use it or lose it or, you know, remove, for example, landlord's ability to evict a tenant when they're selling the property because of this really strong right to private property. And that is why I make the case and many others are making the case that we do need a referendum mm-hmm. to put a right to a home in the constitution that would balance that right to private property. So councils could say to somebody, you need to use it or you lose it. So we do have two um, strong, in a sense, a private property right in terms of commercial property, in terms of that ownership. And we do need, I would argue, that balancing of a right to a home in the constitution. Um, but it is important that, the, that that clause on the right to private property does have um, qualifying uh, limits on it in the constitution. It says that that right to private property can be limited in terms of to meet the common good and to meet social justice uh, principles. So there is leeway there as well, but I do think we need a referendum. And you, you, you dig into it fairly deep. You know what you say, and you're, it wasn't, it, it didn't just happen, it was caused. You've heard the expression, Rory, qui bono, who benefited from all of this? Was this done yeah. to us? And who benefited from doing it to us? That's a really good question, um, and it's a really important one. And I do highlight that there are significant interests who do benefit from the current housing system, from the current housing policy, um, and they are the very large private developers, the increasingly these global investment funds who have bought up so much property, these large landholders, um, landlords, of course, you know, who have benefited from very significant rising rents. The banks, and um, the banks are very invested in continuously rising property prices and rents. The financial institutions, um, and so I do show that there is what I call a nexus of interests who don't don't want significantly reduced property prices. Um, and I think that what happened in terms of politics, and you know, we do need to talk about it, is that you know a lot of homeowners. Um, kind of during the Celtic Tiger, and this is where I kind of make my kind of argument about how we think about housing was warped in that time. A lot of individual homeowners got caught up in this idea that my property price needs to keep rising, and that's a really good thing, and I'll benefit from that. Um, and now people are realizing when they've got their adult kids living at home, and they can't afford to have a home, well, what good is this constantly yeah, rising yeah. prices but if yeah. my kids can't get a, get a home? Yeah. What, what good is this half million euro worth of bricks and mortar around me when my kids are still living in the box room? The book is called Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It. Rory Hearn, thank you very much for being with me on The Opinion. And book available now in Waterstones and all good bookshops. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Traffic complaints continue to come into us every single day. I know the tunnel appears to have eased out in the last few days, but where you were stuck for an hour this morning, Angelina. Where? Morning. Hiya, um, I was stuck by the Dwellers and Keels Sunday's well, we? Yes. I was just going to my new apartment and 
I got caught in the the traffic there. Right. What time did you get caught? Um, it was about nine o'clock. Okay. What time did you get out of it? Um, it was about actually that half eight, and I got out of it about half nine. I got to the apartment. Whoa! And like that took yeah. you an hour to go. How far? Uh, from Mayfield up to Shannonkeel. The, the, the Atkins Hallway. Oh my goodness me! Crikey. I discovered there's roadworks up further up the road then. Yes, it's all this time of year, loads of roadworks get done. Yeah. Uh, I decided to go the other way home now to get more stuff. Yeah, yeah. You got up to meet the electrician, did, you? did he wait for you? Yeah. Or was he yeah, delayed? He, he's, uh, he was a bit delayed, but he said he's not bad. So, and I forgot the landlord, so I have to go back again. <laughs> so. Oh, God, poor old you. Moving around. Yeah. But an hour's delay to get from Mayfield to, to Sherry Keel this morning. Yeah. 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 All right. I, I discovered there's roadworks up above then, you see, so... Yeah, yeah, those roadworks, they tend to happen a lot at this time of the year. Angelina, thanks. Yeah, she was in Sunday as well. This is use-it-or-lose-it time uh, for roadworks. I remember years ago, years and years ago, they pulled up down there by the railway station they started resurfacing down there about five or six weeks before Christmas. And I went looking into why. And I discovered that it's kind of like use it or lose it. If they don't break ground on the project before the end of the year, they can lose the money. So there's a kind of use it or lose it goes on at this time of the year. where they have to start all of these projects to try to win. To try to keep the funding. Thanks, Angelina. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Dock Workers Remembrance Mass, remembering Cork Dockers, it's in Grand Church, Saturday the 19th at half past five. Thanks to Liam Corker and letting us know that on behalf of remembering Cork Dockers. Also this weekend, uh, the My Place Craft and Vintage Fair. Is happening in Middleton, out on Mill Road. Admission is free, Saturday 10 till 4 and Sunday 11 till 5. On housing, now, talking to Rory Hearn about his new book, uh, Gaffs, and his analysis of the housing crisis and his looking at the solutions and who's benefiting from it, book called Gaffs, Why No One Can Get a Home and What We Can Do About It. All you hear on the radio now, says this call, is that there was no housing crisis in the 60s and 70s. There was. It was the way that people back then accepted very poor, dirty, damp, overcrowded, private rented flats. So they weren't actually homeless. Also, people weren't thrown out of private flats for bad behaviour. Some of the places were mad. The government did build more houses, that is true. But what happens now is they rent private houses and hotels. That wasn't really done in the 70s. Also, people lived at home with their parents rather than go into dingy private flats. But I was on the waiting list at the time. It took me seven years to get a place off the council. In some ways, I was lucky. There were people waiting longer. Yeah, thanks for that. But there was thousands and thousands. There's another documentary series that was made on RTE last year, the year before, called The Way We Were. And it looked back at many different aspects of Irish society, like how we went on holiday, how we went shopping. It was a really, actually it was very funny at times. And they had great old archive footage from from days gone by. But they did a feature on, on housing. 
And yes, that caller is correct. Some of what was there was very dingy, very damp. It wasn't great at all. But the other side of it is that in a time when we were broke, and broke as broke could be, as they say, we built thousands of houses. Thousands of them. Mayfield, look at Mayfield. Or not Mayfield, um, Ballyfehan. Look at Ballyfehan. Ballyfehan was all public housing, built by the government and rented out. Eventually they sold loads of them off. But that was a public housing scheme. 0818 96 96 96. Something completely different for you now. And now, this, the, the audio I'm going to play you is a little while old. Um, it's been going around on YouTube for a while and Seamus came across it. So I talked to Seamus in a little while. It was a conversation on Good Morning Britain uh, when Piers Morgan and Susanna Reid were presenting Good Morning Britain. And they spoke to a parent called Ari Dennis about their choice not to give their baby a gender. Their new baby was effectively genderless. Um, that was their decision, and they appeared on the programme to discuss it. But what about this? Having a they-be, it's a new term that some parents are using to show that they're bringing up their offspring gender-neutral. Are you able to even sure. say how, you know, what gender Sparrow was born? Well, you know, the whole point of gender is that we don't know Sparrow's gender yet. Um, as far as what their anatomy is, uh, we do choose to keep that private, you know, to a, a short list of uh, caregivers. Now, this was not the situation, was it, with Hazel, who was your first child, because Hazel, yes, you did bring up as a little girl. Well, I did assign binary pronouns to Hazel initially, yes. Uh, and then when they were older, they articulated a preference for using they, them pronouns. So let me try and just lay this out. You're, you're married, is that right? Uh, I'm in a multi-adult family. There's three of us that are raising uh, two children, uh, an eight-year-old and my one-year-old. And, you, and how would you describe yourself? You are... Yeah, I'm non-binary, which means that yeah, I don't identify as a man or a woman, uh, and I use they, them pronouns. Okay, and your your wife or partner? Well, um, uh, all of the adults in my household identify as transgender or non-binary. Right, and you're only married to one, or you're married to both? Uh, legally married to one. Right, in and a relationship with another. Uh, but, so the yeah. one you're legally married to, what is their name? Uh, Bren. Bren, and, is, and Bren identifies as uh, a woman. A <laughs> Uses woman. she her. Um, and she was born a woman, and remains identifying as a woman? Yeah. Okay, and who's the third member of uh, my, my partner, Luna, who yeah. uses they, them pronouns as well. And Luna is male or female? Non-binary. And you have two children? Yes. Okay, and just to clarify again, Sparrow, we don't know whether Sparrow was born male or female because you haven't said that, but Sparrow is now non-binary? No, a Sparrow is, I, I would say, antigender, which is a term, you know, that means before gender. Like, all children, you know, at this age are developmentally not able to really understand gender yet. So it's not that the child is non-binary, it's that the child just doesn't have any gender yet. Like they do, obviously they do have anatomy. I think that's the bigger point that your situation is trying to get to, isn't it? That when you're born with certain genitals, society decides how you should act. 
Yes, that's a, a great question and a great clarification. So what it I would, so what I would say, Aaron, you're not dictated to by society. I mean, if, if uh, you have a little girl, she can decide and still be a, a she. This is. I don't think you can, can't call her a she, though. Sparrow's not a she, No, right? I know. So let's talk about a different little girl or a, another child. We don't know if Sparrow's yeah. she or he. No, that is true. I'm talking about a, a little girl who, whose parents do call her a she. She doesn't necessarily need to, for instance, play with dolls. Yeah. Yeah, gender expression is totally different from gender identity. Someone can identify as a boy and, you know, like any color, any toy, sports, dance, mm -hmm. pink, blue, whatever. When did Hazel decide that she was no longer going to be a girl? Uh, Hazel decided that they were non-binary when they were about four. They had been exploring uh, gender before that, you know, mm. d it, trying on different pronouns. Uh, but they picked they, them pronouns and chose the name Hazel. Now, that's uh, a year or two ago. As you know, Piers Morgan has since left Good Morning Britain. He appears now on Talk TV, and he had that explosive interview the other night with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, which is worth a watch, even if you have no interest in, in football. Uh, one thing about Piers is I'd hate to get on the end of his fork when he starts poking me. But that's, that's, that's uh, uh, by the by. Seamus, you, you came across that discussion, and you were a bit shocked by it. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I I just I came across this there um, uh, last week, and you know it's not too often that I'd, I'd agree with um, uh, Piers Morgan, but I, I kind of did. I felt for for on this one. I just think that it's I, I think it's like it's a form of lunacy, in fact, whereby whereby you know it's becoming almost fashionable to disagree or to like uh, to deny the facts of life. Or to the, the plain, you know, the, the the scientific fact of your condition, and that that's what I think it's being played upon. It's become almost like a fashion item at this point, and it's in itself the whole. Uh, I, I think the whole uh, bandwagon that's been jumped on has actually downgraded the seriousness of an of an individual's case. If it is a case of transgender, well, I'll just say just just to add. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Right. We, we do accept, don't we, though, Seamus, that people have a right to come out and say I am transgender and they have a right Absolutely. for that to be accepted and I don't understand non-binary whatever about he, she or whatever, I don't understand non-binary but, but I also accept it, you accept that that's how a person feels 100% I've, I've encountered people, I've actually worked with people I know of people who are transgender and have gone through the process and we're aware of them a number of years back and so on. Not many people, but there's a couple of people that I'm aware of and I know of and Steve went through the whole, uh, the psychiatry behind this, the, 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 I think they've gone under a lot of operations and hormone treatment and so on. It takes years. It is. But what we have at the moment, and it is quite serious and, you know, it's, it's, it's life-changing. Not no something what, anyone but, takes uh, on lightly, I would suspect, Shane. Absolutely, absolutely not. And I just wanted to highlight it because I do think, you know, and in light of the, the, the 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 the, yeah, the 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 backlash that the priest and um Kerry had there um you know a couple of weeks back he did say re refer to this kind of van wagon that's been created as a form of lunacy and it is now those those words those words hurt a lot of people Seamus so let's not drill they, down on them they they did no well no like it's it, see this is not to target the individual it's to target the bandwagons that that's been created as you said there's up to uh, like a hundred gender forms being created now which a lot of have no a lot of them have no scientific basis it's just based on feeling alone which is in essence denial of the facts of life and the facts of science and so on and biology but what I'm trying to to corroborate what I'm actually saying, right? For example, during the week there was a Louis Thoreau documentary that uh, came out 
where he uh, interviewed um, a uh, an up uh, a not too well known uh, British pop star. He's kind of a punk, modern punk rock uh, uh, pop star in his early twenties. I think it's Young Blood is is his name. Okay, and I haven't seen he, he interviewed the guy. He has a lot of issues himself with his own gender or whatever it is that's going on when in his life, and. Uh, he has formed a, uh, a fan base through YouTube and TikTok and so on, okay? So I wasn't aware of this guy anyway, so I took a look at the documentary, and usually with the Louis Thoreau documentaries, you know, there is going to be some sort of twist in the documentary. Yeah, he has, a way, of, he has a way of probing you. Um, oh, he does brilliantly. This, this, this sort of, and I, I use it with great respect for the man, this sort of gormless oaf is a big act. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> he does, and he does it brilliantly in a very subtle way. He actually draws it. I'm, I'm a bit stupid now, like, but you know, <laughs> that's an act. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but like this, I'll tell you about this guy anyway. Like, um, he, I watched the documentary and thought, where is this going? You're, you're, you're kind of waiting for the punchline of the Louis, uh, Louis Throw documentary, whereby he'd throw out the the, the key point. And he, this particular pop star, he he's all about. Uh, you know, highlighting transgenderism and the, you know, your right to identify as the brick in the wall or anything you want to be, man, woman, or whatever it may be, in in his during his show through his music, if that's what you call it, music. It's it's pretty woeful, but um, anyway, it's a matter of taste. You know, some young people might like it. He hasn't, he hasn't got a huge fan base, but it's there nonetheless online. So he highlighted it, and of course, Louis Throw in, interviewed him uh, throughout the the documentary. I think it lasted about an hour, and he uh, attended a couple of his um, gigs. Um, somewhere in some parts of the UK. Now, and this is this is the key point you see, and this is what was quite frightening. The uh, age base of the crowd in the in, in, in the fan base attending his gigs was anywhere between like the age of five, six, seven, up to like early twenties, perhaps maybe mostly late teens. And the most frightening part of it all was uh, there was a part of a show where he uh, he gets somebody up from the audience, you know, rather like a you know you have a Robbie Williams type of character, he might get a, a young lady up out of the audience and oh. do a little song or dance with her or something like that. What he does is he takes up a a young person who's like you know I'm talking like a child, six, seven, eight years of age, nine years of age, and gets them to come up and take the microphone from and reveal to the audience one of their most inner secrets the crowd to the to mm, their fellow I, I, we're fans. talking about something I haven't seen now Seamus a lot of people haven't seen yeah. so you know well it's it's there it, it, it's it's a, it's, an, it's official I, I won't go into too much uh, detail but it's a documentary by Louis Terrell it was aired on TV on mainstream TV there during the week but um, this young person had to stand up well did have to stand up but she willingly stood up but I still think it's quite wrong because it's such a young child and basically said I uh, it was a young girl and said um, I, I, I like girls you know like I, I just felt it was just really inappropriate, and that was the the one thing that Louis Thoreau tried to highlight. It's it's basically tying with the 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 the, the seriousness, I guess, of transgenderism and all that goes with it. So it's becoming a you know, and just listen to that um, YouTube clip, obviously from um, you know from Piers Morgan. Well, it just well, even even since that way. clip has gone out, and we now know uh, Piers is no longer with Good Morning Britain, and it's all changed now. So it's a, it's a year or two old, but I do remember it at that time. But yeah. it, we have to be said, Seamus, that the psychological understanding of of transgender has changed even since that went out. And there's a certain. I remember having a book here. I don't have it to hand just now. A book about the various the language and the way we speak about it. We just now, I think, just need to accept that if a person identifies a particular way, 
that's how they identify and that's okay that's, that's, that's okay absolutely but I, I just don't think are, are you saying uh, you are know, you saying though that it's children is your worry uh, well, I think it becomes a dangerous thing ultimately when it becomes a, a politicised uh, agenda in what of, way is it politicised, uh, you know, uh, though? Why is it well, I mean, it we, we've, there's been a number of in- incidences around the country where we've had uh, transgenders, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but transgender um, ch- uh, reading uh, sessions, uh, book reading sessions for young children. What's, um, the, well, what's, what's the whole, what's the problem with transgender reading sessions? Well, uh, well the reports on it uh, over the last six months have been the case that, like, it, it's, it's, there's acts of, the drag act is taking place before the children are supposed to, uh, in line with the, um, drag act the, now, to be fair. Drag, drag, drag is as old as time. You know, yeah. drag is as old as time and has a, has a particular connection with Cork through the the great Danny LaRue, for yeah. example. You know, drag, drag is as yeah, old as... Yeah, and a drag act is not necessarily a transgender act. Do you know what I mean? may not be, but it's still inappropriate for children to be around. Why, why though? Why, why, why? I just don't think... I think it's too sexualized, and I don't think uh, children... But sure, children there are, the children's sexist. pantomime every year, or cartoon dame, every child in the theatre knows it's a man dressed up as a yeah, woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but look, look, there's just a real sense that it's just, you know, when you see this thing taking a place in public, and it did cause uproar in Mayo, it caused uproar in John Garvin as well. Oh, but wait, but, but I, I, I saw, I read about it, I don't get the uproar. Well, so children, don't ask, uproar children don't ask questions, they just want to hear a story. Yeah, but they don't ask to be, um, you know, they don't ask to be uh, politicised with by an agenda or to be yeah. asked to be read stories by uh, by drag queens. You know, it's like just, I remember uh, walking into a bookshop in New York one time, and it's a few years ago now, but it was in this bookshop in New York. Uh, well, it was a toy shop, and the top floor of it was, I think it was F.A.O. Schwartz or someplace like that, and they had a yeah. children's book fair, and there was <laughs> there was a Barbie doll <laughs> reading books. The Barbie doll was six foot two. You know what I mean? Like the, the children just didn't care. Here's Barbie yeah. in the flesh. I, I know. Look, I know what you're saying. Look, but look, but there are there are bigger things at play by the powers that be, and we'll you'll hear about it, and you'll you know, and there are groups of parents who are upset around the country as well. You know, when it comes to like the te- you know, it's gone a little bit further down the end. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I, I, I remember reading that thing about the the, the very. I just wondering what what people were upset about. If the, children, if the children enjoyed the storytelling and took the enjoy the enjoyment of reading and the enjoyment of storytelling from it, where's the problem? I, uh, well, I think the problem was up in, um, I think it was a Dunkarvan or Mayor, I'm not 100% sure it was one of those two uh, places, that the, uh, the the drag queen in question on the back of a truck uh, decided to flash his crotch. Uh, and, well, okay. Albeit it was covered, but yeah, okay, no, that, that was inappropriate. There but, was I mean, a video going is, around of that nature. and it, Counter yeah. argument is if, if a male you know, teacher or female teacher was uh, standing on the back of a truck who may have been a teacher in a local school, flashed a cr- fair crotch. Fair enough, fair enough, famous. They would be a sex offender before you know it and up before the courts. So it's a double standard, and that's why I'm trying to say. Are, are you trying just, to say, Seamus, that you're, a, you're, you're, are you trying to say that you're unhappy <laughs> about the acceptance of transgenderism? No, no, no. Children, no, our own children. I, I think, I think this, given, the, I, I know a couple of people have gone through this process over the, the decades. I do believe that it has become a politicized, uh, uh, fashion trend of an agenda. Strong uh, agenda. words, Seamus. Strong yeah. words. Uh, well, uh, watch, look what's going on around, you know, that's the way, that I, that's how I... Like a fashion trend is something you try out for a while. I mean, do you really well, think anyone tries out being trans for a while? 
No, I don't. But I, th- I, I find it disturbing when you look at the Louis Theroux documentary. He himself exposed it willingly by um, Youngblood, the uh, pop star like that. It, I think it, it's something's amiss when you have a child who is now more than eight or nine or mm. thereabouts uh, taken up on stage on the mic before an audience to reveal their innermost well, secret well, 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 about yeah. your sexuality. Come back That's to something right. that we have heard, because a lot of us haven't seen or heard that, but come back to the discussion that we began this with. This was the one with Ari Dennis yeah. on Good Morning Britain, where, <laughs> if I remember correctly, Ari's child, called Sparrow, will be let to decide their own gender. They have anatomy but they will be let to decide their own their own gender that let's let's focus on that question how do you feel about that i i just think i feel i when i looked at it i felt i feel bad for the child number one i think the child is going to be brought into, brought up into a state of confusion you know that child is just subject to and again uh, parents with an agenda of of highlighting something that they feel is maybe the freedom to do whatever or be or identify identify as whatever they want, but ultimately I think that it may confuse the child in an early stage. I don't know. I'm not an expert, yeah. but it just I, I think you're stealing. You're 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 robbing the child of its own identity effectively. Or, you know? but hold on a now. You're robbing the child of its own identity, or well, are you just, saying just, you can choose what identity? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You want, you wish. And well, as, J, as J, J.K. Rowling has said it, and she's been out well, now, of that. Before you go quoting J.K. Rowling, you know that a lot of what J.K. Rowling has said in the last two years has hurt, deeply hurt the transgender community. So before you go there, okay. remember that. Well, okay. Like, okay, well, what I, what is a bit of a struggle to, you know, uh, I suppose, to, to get your head around is just a complete, all of a sudden, um, there seems to be, uh, you know, this overarching ideal of denying certain facts of life. That's what it is, and that in itself is almost like it's. It, well, it facts of life, like do you mean? Form of lunacy. 
Well, you know, there's denial of biological and scientific facts of like, well, what physical state is a child born in? Like, you know, and, and take it from that point. And if well, they do well, have well, a transgender issue, they grow for it. If you look at where it's gone, it's gone past. I used to think, and I, you know, this has been learning for me in my line of work, I need to learn quickly and, and learn a lot. Like, I would, I would have said, right, do a DNA test, you know. There's there's XX and there's XY. There's no Z. I, I that's what I would have said five years ago. Yeah. But now science and psychology and psychiatry has gone beyond that and said actually yes, the genetic statement is a fact. The biological statement is a fact. But there's a lot more going on in between that we need to accept there, too. Yeah, there, there may be okay, and 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 that can be dealt with if the person feels it over time. You know. But this thing of not giving a child a chance to at least identify themselves as, you know... But that's exactly what they are doing with Sparrow. They're giving, yeah. they're giving Sparrow an opportunity to identify whatever okay. way... Well, uh, the only way to, the, the, the only argument to put forward on this is like, could you imagine what the world would be like if it all operated that way for everybody who was born? What kind of a world would we really be living in? That's wonder, wonder wouldn't about. you? Yeah, and I don't know. I think it will be a very dangerous, confused state of you mind. See, I mean, yeah. the, the world at large. And I don't think, you know, sometimes the well, church you, you has... See, you, you see, here's another thing too, Shane. Right, what it's saying. Here's the thing too, right? And and I don't know what age you are, but I, I, I suspect I'm possibly a little bit older than you. I remember in the 80s having friends that I knew who were gay who you, you used to have to hide and, and couldn't I be gay. Yeah. And, and I, I remember, I also remember, you know, living down the road from a place where we put women who had the audacity to have a child without being married and, and did terrible things to them and their babies. And now, 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 we look, <laughs> now we look down at Besborough and places like it and we, we say horrible things were done there. We look back at the 80s and we think it was a horrible place to be gay is 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 transgender and the acceptance of transgender and the acceptance that gender is a concept rather than an actual biological thing is that just not the new acceptance that we've got to learn to to live with maybe we do but i think what i would argue is that when it becomes almost a politicized uh weapon of topics so whereby you do there is a feeling out there I and mean, you feel it even as we discuss it here now that if you disagree with it with with it you are almost vilified for for being wrong you know well well and, well no uh, let's let's go with that point let's go with that point you're saying that it has been it has we've come to a point in the road where to put the hand up and say actually I don't agree with that yes. that that's a problem that's well, what that's what yes, you believe I, well, if you look at it at a grand scale, and I know this sounds a bit highfalutin, right? But you know, the church. We, okay, people may not like the Catholic Church, for example, for that, and we know the reasons why the church is an it's an entity, an organization run by mere men, well, not we, God, we, not we, we, we know the current discussion yeah. on the spirit and order. Like we kind of yeah. know what went on there too. So we do. None of that has to be held up into the light as, as a source of goodness. No, well, maybe not. But like, if you look at it at a grand scale. Where does it go from there? You know, if, like it's it's all about acceptance of everything and anything. But with that, it can cause social disarray at a grand scale into the future. I just don't know where it goes when we just accept everything. Well, if you take it, if it's if you want to take it to an extreme level, for example, 
you know, we, we, okay, you now we, we accept that there's different genders, you know, we, we can identify as this, identify it as that. I can be with any type of partner, you can't describe me as anything, this, that, and the other. Do we go down into the future, which is not, you know, you know, a comedian might think it's impossible that could, that could happen, whereby we end up uh, loving our fellow creatures, our animals the same way as, I, you know, I love my pet so much that I spend most of my time there. I think I'll marry my pet. I would like marital status. I think you're reaching into areas now that are just pure <laughs> fantasy. But, uh, okay. You may, you, may, you may say that now, ask that question in 30 or 40 years' time and we could be looking well, I probably will be long since retired <laughs> and hopefully sitting in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Seamus, it's, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. I'm not too sure how other people will have interpreted the conversation, but Seamus is, I think to boil him down to a sentence, where he accepts transgender, and now it is comfortable to talk about transgender in society. Just like in the 80s it wasn't comfortable to talk about being gay, and now it is. It is now comfortable to talk about being transgender and to talk about choice of gender and, you know, for it to be okay that way. Seamus is, I think, uncomfortable with how far that might go. How do you feel? Do you agree, for example, with Ari? Now, the the topic of conversation from the audio clip is that Ari uh, has a child called Sparrow who will be allowed when they time is right for themselves to choose their own gender. Um, to have an anatomy which isn't being revealed, but they will be allowed to choose. I, I, I don't, lads, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this, to be quite honest with you. I don't. Can you help me? 0818 96 96 PJ Coogan on the Opinion Live. Silver winner. Silver winner, best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks 96 FM. Mary, good morning. So, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, as parents, when our children are born, now, when my children were born, and now it's not 100 years ago, but like my youngest is just an adult, and that wasn't an issue. You you know what I mean? Your child, your gen, the gender of the child, the child was male or female, basically. Back when I had my children, anyway. And I'm just saying, it's not a hundred years ago, but you know. Um, but my concern, like my children, I suppose, and myself when I was a child, my gender meant that I had a common link immediately from birth with approximately fifty percent of the population. Right. And that has been a support. I, I've taken it for granted because it's always been there. And my children have taken it for granted because they have always grown up as either male or female. But I would have concerns that if you don't have that commonality, if you like, with a large group in the population, is there an issue? If you're not giving your child that, it's like even, you know, I wouldn't be, again... You know, I am a Catholic. I identify. I, you know, wouldn't be the best practicing Catholic in the world. But my children, I made a decision for my children to join that group because I understand and believe in the underlying values, and I wanted to them to grow up with you, that. You raised that. your children in the faith. 
exactly. that you yourself were raised. Yes. As, as, my exactly. parents, as my parents did, you know? Yes, and I'm also raising my children in line with my understanding of gender. Yes. And my experience of gender. What is your understanding of gender, Mary? Do you think... I identify as a woman. Right. My gender matches my anatomy, I suppose. I kind of think where it, if, if that's the lingo that's yeah. being... By, well, they call used, that cis know. nowadays. That's the word that they use. They call what that cis, C-I-S. It's not a term I particularly yeah, yeah. like, right. but it's a term uh, that Yeah, they I use. never even heard of yeah. that one. <laughs> no, I'm... But I'm just saying that depriving, deliberately depriving your child of a link, and such an important link, you know, that kind of, I suppose, guides their development. I, and it does guide their development... Which is why we have to be so, um, you know, determined to make sure equality and all that, that identifying as one or the other does not yeah. harm you in any way. You're saying children, the, children need to be feel part. Children yes. need to feel part of a group. And come back to the original discussion then on the tape, and, and that Ari said that, well, Sparrow, her child, I think, or their child, because Ari, yes. Ari says that Sparrow will choose their own identity in time. As children, you, but you feel that... Yes, but, but that, their, uh, their older child has chosen non-binary or whatever. Has, yes, having so been raised they're female. not going to... So their child, are not, their child is not going to have or has chosen themselves, okay, but I would imagine basically in the household that they're in that they have followed the example set by yeah. the adults. And that's what's going to happen, basically. It's, yeah. it's grand to say, I'm sorry now, a four-year-old child is not making a, an informed decision. <laughs> that, you know, like Do you believe kind of they thing can't, Mary? I, a four-year-old well, child? I, believe, I, I actually believe that, you know, I think it's actually too... I don't know at what point you could decide that, because at, at the moment, say, if I... if I was discriminated in the workplace because I was female and could attribute it to that, I will, you know what I mean, I would have a support of a huge network of women. Yes. And and could identify other situations, potentially, where others were in the same, you know? Yes. Like, there are a whole load of situations, like, and, you know, that very sad news this morning, it was women that benefited, you know, from that... You know yeah. the the yeah yeah all the yeah, you yeah. know the cervical yeah. it was women and it was the force of women as a group of women yes that yes. brought that and I just don't know I just think that if we go down the route that that if we dilute that by giving this kind of I suppose position or promoting even or kind of making it trend you know that. The, the support that they are already within women's group and with, women have needed it more than any other group yes. in the world, that that will be diluted for yes. existing women yeah. to accommodate people who want to do their own thing, basically. Yeah, or, yeah. While, accepting, while accepting, it, while accepting yes. everybody's right at the same time exactly to do their, to own, do their thing. own thing. But we do need to kind of... I don't know, does anybody have the right to take that away from a child, is basically what I'm saying. Okay, okay. And now, psychology and science does tell us these days that children 
can begin to show signals very early. Um, you know, they they can, but like kind of thing. Again, the vast majority of children basically take the cues from their parents. That is, that's, yes, I can't. You and, know, and I don't think any of them can argue with that. Exactly. You know, and we do have to accommodate people who are not comfortable in that yeah. zone at whatever stage that. But becomes apparent. I guess come back to the to, to the to the cue. You, I think you wouldn't. I, you know. uh, am I? Am I? Lastly, Mary, am I interpreting yes. from what you say? Because its interpretation is as important as the words we use. Yes. Am I interpreting from what you say that you feel letting a young child make their own choice is perhaps not the best thing to do? No. Well, I certainly think making it for them at too early an age, and you know. Starting them off outside the group <laughs> to, I do to which understand. they belong, I suppose, is what I'm saying. I do Starting understand. a child off outside the group to which they belong might not be the best thing. I see. I, you, you know, great conversation, Mary. You know, great conversation. Thank you. This is a difficult subject to talk about because you have to be so careful to not hurt and not damage and not, as they say, punch down. But it's a conversation I'm happy to have with people if they want to have it. The, the, the core argument of this audio piece that we had, which was from an old television show of a year or two ago now, was that Sparrow is a child who will be allowed by the parents to make their own choice as to what gender they wish to live as. There's another term. Terminology is everything these days, and we must... Read it and understand it. AFAB, AMAB, AFAB and AMAB. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I was quite surprised to come across them in the last few months as I was reading about stuff like this. AFAB and AMAB. Uh, they mean assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth. Now, again, they're, they're not terms that that I have any cause to use. Um, similarly, cis is a term applied to people like me. I'm perfectly happy to be a man. Um, it's not a term I like because it's applied to me by somebody else, but that's where we are. But what about children? Should we let children decide? Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with the latest on Cork's entertainment. Kevin McGarren is known to Irish audiences from hosting RTE's Republic of Telly and appearing in the likes of Hardy Bucks. Also a fantastic stand-up, Kevin comes to City Limits Comedy Club this Saturday night with tickets available on the door. Access all areas. Ham Sandwich returned to Cypress Avenue for an album launch show on December 1st, celebrating their new album, Magnify. Following some superb singles from the top 10 album, the Mead Band have a great league side following with tickets on sale now from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. If you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the coming weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can reach us on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to Coming up in a minute, there's another interesting debate has started on another thing to do with children, which thankfully is a lot less complicated than gender. But Elf on the Shelf is coming under fire. I'll tell you why in a while. 0818 96 96 96. But I think I've remarked to you here a couple of mornings over the last few months where I saw these e-scooters 
doing crazy things in crazy places. And I mentioned at the time, they're illegal on the, on the open road. Now, Neil Michael at the Irish Examiner has been doing some work on this. Um, and you spoke to scooter drivers, Neil. And before I get into what you found, a lot of them didn't know that the scooters are illegal on the open road. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And none of them knew, uh, which was quite surprising. I mean, there was one guy I spoke to who had invested €800 Euro in his uh, top-of-the-range scooter. And you'd think if you're spending 800 quid, you'd, um, you know, you'd probably uh, try and find out. But I think in fairness to a lot of people, I think people just kind of see them as being until they become one of those statistics of the number of accidents that uh, we also had in the Irish examiner piece. But I think they sort of see them as being kind of, um, you know, harmless. And I think they possibly underestimate how fast they are or how fast they can be. Um, and actually how, like, they're not innocuous unless you're traveling on the pavement. Uh, and that's, you know, it, they, I think people just don't take them seriously enough to realize that A, they're illegal and B, they're, they're lethal. Yeah, you mentioned accidents. It's quite a number. Yeah, I mean, about 60 people uh, who use an e-scooter are going to get involved in a traffic incident every month. I mean, 2020, there were 280 traffic incidents. Uh, The figure jumped to 759 in 2021, and about 25% of those involved collisions. So, and... If you look at the various reports from hospitals, uh, the kind of injuries that people are getting are pretty savage injuries, um, you, you know, because people aren't protected. They're, the, they're getting the full force of either a motorbike or another scooter or a, a, um, a car or a lorry. Um, like there, there's some serious, serious injuries here. It's not just, the, you know, a grazed shin and stuff like that. And then 2020 to October of this year so far, there's been 791 traffic accident incidents, mm-hmm. and that's probably on course now to be um, probably the, probably be another 120 or so by the end of the year, which means that basically the figures have tripled in a very short space of time, and the number of uh, collisions um, are also increasing. Um, there are 25% of incidents last year; there are 33% this year. Um, now, e-bikes. They are. They do have traffic incidents, not as many, and yeah. they do have collisions, but not as many. But yeah, e-scooters, um, they're lethal. <laughs> yeah, and they're illegal. <laughs> and they're and they're illegal. Are they being seized in Cork by the Gardaí? Um There is a very active. Um, uh, I know they, they they have been seized in Cork, uh, but the vast majority appear to be um, seized in the guarded divisions in and around Dublin. Um, so there was, for example, I don't know all the figures for 21 or 22, but certainly in 2020, there were more than um, around, I say there was about maybe 290 e-scooters were seized by Gardaí. Like, I, I, I think to some extent, some Gardaí don't know themselves whether they're legal or not. I spoke to a guard just in, in conversation and just mentioned, oh, did a piece about e-scooters and they proceeded to tell me that they were legal and I sort of didn't want to argue with them but I did point out that actually no according to the Department of Transport they're not they're not legal yeah. and the legislation, legislation is them. making its way very slowly through the houses of the Oireachtas but it's not they're, they're not yet legal did, did you talk not, to any people... of the users Michael about the way that some of them I stress some of them now but did you talk to the users about the way some of them seems to have 
not let alone no knowledge, but scant disregard for the basic rules of the road. Uh, yeah, all in fairness, all the ones we saw were travelling in bus lanes um, or um, uh, or cycle lanes. Uh, none of them were wearing a helmet, and the number of them were using pedestrian crossings. But we didn't see any of them, in fairness to them, causing a problem. The bit that worried me more, to be honest, was the first three people that we saw were children. So a parent, a grown-up, is actually, and they and these children weren't wearing um, a, a helmet. So parents are buying these things in the m- misconception that they're they're legal and they're okay for their little Johnny or or, or, or Susan to, to to use. And there's this justification that people say, oh well, if it's less than 25 miles an hour or kilometres an hour, then you know it's legal. No, it's, it doesn't matter how fast it goes. It, they're, they're they're not allowed to be used on the public road. Um, I mean, we generally didn't see people making any use of themselves, but the bit that is slightly worrying is that grown-up adults are buying these for their children, mm-hmm. and the children are going to school in them, and you're thinking, hang on a second, yeah, it's against the law, but, like, these things are lethal. Yeah, they, well, you're, you know, you're... in the wrong hands, and the most, the most amount of accidents happen, by all accounts, within the first six months of ownership. Yeah. So, like, even the doctors themselves are saying, anyone who drives one of these things should do a week-long training course and figure out how to bloody well use it. <laughs> oh, listen, I, I, I remember trying out one as a bit of fun one time on the Today Show at RTE, and it was a bit of crack for the afternoon show, and I decided there and then that not in my wildest dreams would I stand up on one of them in a public road. My God, oh, my Yeah. <laughs> I think people, to be honest, when they see children driving them, they kind of look at them with a certain amount of admiration, thinking, God, aren't they very clever? You know, God, they're, they're very skillful with that sort of thing. But all one of those children has to do is misjudge the amount of acceleration is about to, uh, yes. or, or misjudge it. And they're under the wheels of a car or they're into the path of an oncoming car. And that, that probably sounds alarmist, but when you go back to the statistics, 20 to 30 percent of uh, people involved in, um, in in traffic accidents, and bear in mind these traffic incidents are, uh, they're on course to trouble, having trouble. Now, ownership has obviously increased massively. Um, and now all anybody has to do is do a small bit of Googling to look at medical reports from the Matra Hospital. Yes, yes. They're seeing, I think it's five a week or five a month. There's, a, there's some figure yep. that, that that hospital the alone... Stat you know, in your, the stat in your article says five surgical procedures per month on people using e-scooters. That's from other people's surgeon yeah. called Dr. Frank yeah. Lyons. Yeah, Neil, I'll leave it there for no reason other than time. Thank you very much, um, Neil Michael from The Examiner. They are still illegal. E-scooters are still illegal on the open road. You can't get them insured because they're illegal on the open road and they're not covered. Legislation is coming, but it's not there yet. So if you're thinking of buying an e-scooter for your child for Christmas, they're not allowed on the open road. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute with the Pavilion Christmas Store. Discover the latest Christmas styling trends and delightful dining. The Pavilion for Christmas. Just minutes from Cork Airport. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Joe asks, are e-bicycles illegal? No, e-scooters are illegal, but e-bicycles are not. Now, there's a kind of a health warning on that one too. If the motor that's powering the bike is less than a 250 watt motor, it's a motor of a particular size and strength, then it's not classed as mechanically propelled, just mechanically assisted, and and that makes it legal. Um, But you're not allowed to put a Honda 50 um, engine on the backer of a bike and make it work that way. But you know what I mean? Most of the electric bikes that are going around have a small little motor on them. They're mechanically assisted, not mechanically propelled. And they are therefore, Joe, they're legal. But the e-scooters, the ones that you stand up on and vroom along, they're illegal. They're not supposed to be on the open road. I guess the best thing to do is check the legality of anything that you want to take onto the public road is the right thing to do. 0818 96 96 96. I'll come back to e-scooters with John in a minute. John, you want to talk to me about it. You had a very nasty experience during the summer. We talked about it. John wants to come back to me on the subject of e-scooters and I'll do that. But Michael, back to gender. And it's a difficult conversation to have because you've got to be so careful not to hurt people or not to punch down on marginalised groups, as it were. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's a conversation worth having with regard to, say, a woman... Or, well, uh, a person, Ari, um, a non-binary person, that's the one I struggle with, non-binary person saying that they're going to let their child, Sparrow, decide their own gender. Like, what do you make of it? Morning. Morning, PJ. Um, I suppose, like, the way I look at it is that you can't make somebody transgender um, in the same way as, uh, you know, I'm pretty much the same um, vintage as yourself. And during the 70s and 80s, um, there would have been um, the idea um, that you could make somebody gay, mm. um, which which now sounds completely ridiculous. Yes, but there were people that believed it at that stage, um, and I think I think a lot of it is a, a lot of these conversations are because because people are afraid of change. We don't like change and we don't like things different. And instead of putting your hand up and saying, I don't understand it, which I know for somebody my age, I don't understand it, but I'm very respectful and I'm very understanding um, of of the person. Um, But but put your hand up and say, I I just don't understand it. You know, can we discuss it? But what people say is I don't agree with it. People have their own voice these days. There are fewer gatekeepers, if you like, in society and classrooms. You know, people have their own voices uh, these days. I I have to say, and I said this earlier this morning, I have absolutely, like, a a person's choice of gender is their own. I think. The one that, if you want to live in whatever gender you want to live in. That, that's fine by me. It, it, it makes no difference to my life. That if, yeah. if, if, if you, Michael, if you decide tomorrow that I should for now on call you Michelle and you're going to live, that makes no difference to me. It's not going to change my life Absolutely. one little bit. The, the one thing I struggle to understand, and I, I'd love to talk to someone, if there's anyone listening to me right now, who's non-binary, if someone would look talk, yeah. and I'd love to understand... That must be a very actually hard place to live. Yeah, and that's the thing. But you see, that's the difference, um, PJ. And I think we're we're kind of similar. You say you don't understand, and it's okay not to understand. 
yes. understand. And, and I would nearly even say to people who are non-binary or transgender, you know, can you stick with us? We just don't understand. No, but we're that's also because no, we're, also we're from a different generation. Well, it's not even that, Michael. It's it, we also understand. It's 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 also that we you don't owe us an explanation, <laughs> but please accept we don't yeah. understand either. Do you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. But but understanding, not understanding, shouldn't be. I don't agree. Indeed, indeed, you're absolutely right, Michael. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and that's a good point that Michael finishes up with. Um, that, you know, not understanding is fine, absolutely fine. But you don't say, well, I don't agree just because you don't understand. That's, that's, but again, bringing the discussion back to children. Because that's what I want. We're in an adult world. People will make their own choices, their own decisions based on their own feelings. And our job as other adults is to accept that. That's my view. Maybe ask them questions if you're friendly with them. Maybe maybe go into it. But you know, they don't owe us an explanation either. But for children, not so sure about that. Not so sure about that at all. Right, back to e-scooters. Somewhat easier to talk about. John, we talked during the summer, mate. Are you recovered? Morning. Good morning, who's um well recovered. Well physically recovered, yes. But mentally, um, I think I have a touch of a bit of a post-traumatic stress syndrome, I think, because um, I was just telling Ian there before I come out to your good self. Um, when I'm in Toronto, um, it's in my head, like, which wasn't there before future. I'm highly aware of crossing the road. I'm highly more, more aware than I was. I use the zebra crossings maybe more now than doing the kamikaze, like we all do, in and out between the traffic, and we've been doing it for years. And... Um, I, if I see any of these scooters, if I'm, and as you know, no, every time you see me in the town, they seem to be a new cycling. So I'm con- very conscious of that, because some of the cyclings now, they're going both ways. If I see these scooters, I almost got hit by another one there about six weeks ago. Remind it's, us again what happened, John. You got off the bus, didn't you? And you I got, yeah. yeah. I got off the bus in George's Key, and I crossed from behind the bus to go over the pedestrian bridge by Molotov's Island. And obviously, like, I mean, only look one way because traffic only comes one way and that's up so terrorist, right? Yes. And then onto George's key. And look, the best way I describe it at the, at the time, and I repeat it again here this morning, I just, this massive impact. And it stunned me, it shook me from head to toe, rocked me to my very soul. And I basically, when I regained some kind of composure on the ground, I was looking around for the lorry or whatever heavy vehicle had hit me, because that's how it felt to you, And, John, it was coming from the wrong direction. The wrong direction, yes. Yeah. That's, the, that's the key point here, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the key point. Yeah, she came down the one-way street. Let's not identify no, anybody now, but the, no, no. the bike, I, I, the, bike no the, the e-scooter, came down the wrong direction. Yeah, down the wrong way and the one-way street, so there was no way, like, I mean, I should have had to look up George's key because I wouldn't be expecting anything to come down from that side. So that's how I, I just walked out casually, grand and relaxed, and was blown up in the air. Like, I, I told you at the time, and the one thing I took, I'm still taking away from that today, please, yes, right, that I, I wish to God it hadn't happened, right, but I was lucky to walk away from it. Like, that's how serious it was. If my head had went down that day, I was gone. We wouldn't be having this conversation. That's I would true. now be dead and buried. And I, I think at the stage now, seeing that they're illegal now, still, right, 
they, what are they doing on the road? I know several people, again, as I was saying to him, or they were always waiting to come on, who will now not go and have got their pensions taken out of the GPO and transferred them back somewhere around their own area, right? They heard me on with you the last time. Like, a lot of people spoke to me about that, and they were horrified. They will now not go into town because they're afraid of, of the cycling. There's so many of them there. They're afraid of these scooters that are being ridden up in footpaths and up and down one-way streets and whatever, and then they will no longer go to town. So I think something seriously has to... And the, the most bizarre thing of all, and if I caught him, I would have nearly held him for the guards. I saw a fully grown adult going down Washington Street last week, Peter, with a four-year-old little girl. Now, she had a helmet on her, clinging onto the stem of the e-scooter while he flew through the oh traffic. Oh, God. I mean, when I saw it, man, my, 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 I shivered into my soul. I mean, you, how could you expect a little four-year-old girl to have the concentration to keep holding that stem hard to hold on to that? Like, all she had to do was just loosen her grip and she was gone. I mean, oh it was absolutely horrendous. Like, or he went so fast through the traffic, I would have caught him if I could have, and I would have held on to him. Oh, no, because no, 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 I would have got over the demand that he'd be arrested. But the, the thing with me... Um, it has undermined my confidence. Like a lot of people, as I said, no, are afraid of them, right? Well, I used to go into town before PJ, like I would never think about walking around the traffic or being hit by anything. It just never occurred to me, right? Mm. But since that happened, no, like I am highly aware I'm using the pedestrian crossings all the time. I'm not weaving out in between traffic anymore. I'm, when I'm the cycle lanes, when I'm, I'm looking up and down both ways because you don't know where they're going to Well, you see, John, at least in a cycle lane, and, uh, you know, in, in defence of those things, for instance, at least in a cycle lane, you expect to meet two-wheeled vehicles, and some of them may well be e-scooters. You expect to meet them. What happened to you was totally different. You're walking across a one-way street yep. after getting off the bus and careering down in the wrong direction comes an e-scooter. That should yep. not have been there. No, and I even know how many times I've seen the exact same scenario played out again, oh. going down one-way streets time and time and I've time seen again. it here. I come in in the morning, my particular route, John, one of the last turns I, I, I take before I park outside 96 FM, and it's a one-way street. There are two lanes, mm. and they're going off. One goes one side of a Y, the other goes the other side of a Y. And frequently, in yeah. between the two lanes of traffic... Yep. You get a couple of scooters coming in the opposite direction. And you see what people don't realize, PJ, is the fact that the, 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 the people that are using them themselves, like, if, you, if you're clipped by something there, you know, or something happens, no, right? When you fall off an e-scooter, you're at, at the height that you're standing at, right? When you're on a bicycle, right, if you're knocked off for whatever reason, right, either a pothole or somebody, a wingman or a van might clip you or something, someone careless, whatever, you're falling from the lower center of gravity. But when you're falling from something that height, standing up, the, the potential for uh, injury is horrific. Well, well look, at the, look at the article that, that, that Neil wrote, Neil Michael wrote in the yep. Examiner, yep. and he said that he quoted a, a surgeon, an orthopaedic surgeon in the Matter Hospital, Dr Lyons, who said about five surgical procedures per month on people yep. hurt off e-scooters. John, I'm glad you're making a recovery, but uh, thank you very much for, for that. Uh, but I see that... Now, Granted, with the darker mornings, it's happening less. I'm seeing less of it with the darker mornings. But I'm also even more afraid of it in the darker mornings because you won't see them. Here's a question, though. You talk about them not supposed to be on the road, and we've established that now. The, 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 the law is not yet through the Oireachtas to allow them on the road, so they're not supposed to be on the road. That is the black and white and holy all of it. 
What happens if a driver collides with one of these things? Because car versus pedestrian, the law will always, or generally always, fall on the side of the pedestrian. What about car versus illegal scooter? Who does the law fall with there? 0818 96 96 96. You guys ready? Watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Bashing out some big prizes this week on the show. I'll be making some very exciting calls on the ten k toy giveaway, and I could be calling you next. Adam, guess what? What? You've won a five hundred euro yes! toy shopping spree. And thanks to the all-new Frasers at Mahon Point Shopping Centre, I've got 200 euro gift cards up for grabs too. Listen in for your chance to win every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home. With Kevin O'Leary, Silver Springs. The new home for Suzuki and Cork. Hybrid has never been so affordable. Call now to ensure January delivery. Cork's 96 FM. If there's a question, if, if an e-bike, or an e-scooter rather, sorry, Totally different beast. E-bike, legal. E-scooter, not. Uh, Total question. If an e-scooter and a car are in collision, where does the law come down? 0818 96 96 96. Now, Anne, rather a sad story here. Who is Angel? Morning. Morning, PJ. Hi, how are you? Who's Angel? I'm not too bad. Angel is um, a Rottweiler, uh, PJ. Uh, my granddaughter's Rottweiler. And what happened to Angel? Um, they were out for a walk uh, in the fields and uh, she saw something, a rabbit or something, and ran. And on the way back, she must have put her leg, I'd say, in a, a hole or something, you know, and the leg went for the back leg went from her. So she was kind of hanging, you know, the leg was hanging. So she took her to the vet and um, they gave her anti-inflammatories and relaxer tablets for her. And... Um, she had to relax then for the weekend, but then when she got up again to walk, the leg was still the same, do you know? So what? she rang the vet again yeah. and she went back and she said maybe she'll have to have surgery in it because uh, some ligament on the back of the knee, there's a string or something, you know? I see. I can't remember. Hamstring or something, now. is it? Hamstring or yeah, something? Yeah, cruciate like something, a cruciate something like that. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I think so. Broken ligament so, um, Yeah. So... um. Anyway, last week, last Friday, I was down with the vet again and she gave me the anti-inflammatories and, and the relaxers to relax her, you know, to relax the leg. So um, the x-ray, she'll be x-rayed now on Friday and that's 400 euros, which is very expensive for her. She only won 17 a week, you know what I mean? I know, yeah. So she did GoFundMe now and she has 125 at the moment uh, in that now. Yeah. Hopefully how how much do money. they reckon that it'll cost to fix... The leg, if the leg can be fixed. If has to have uh, a surgery, it would be three to 4,000. Oh, my goodness. Which is very yeah. expensive. Yeah, is expensive. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very expensive, isn't it? Yeah. It is expensive, yeah. yeah. And look, vet, veterinary really bills are expensive. There's no doubt about it. Veterinary bills are expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my, my. So, That's worrying time. I know. And she's a beautiful dog. She's you know got, what I'm I mean? She's a pet. I'm looking at a picture of her. She's a gorgeous little dog, yeah. She's beautiful and her, you know, she has a lovely nature. She's very loving and, you know, everything. Everyone loves her really around the place. You know what I mean? Yeah. She walks with her now down the Manglefield and uh, up in the, um, up by uh, Vernamount. And everyone meets them. They all know each other, you know, walking the dogs and everything, course, you know. Of course, of course. 
But uh, she's lovely, you know what I mean? She is lovely, yeah, lovely well, dog, God love her. Yeah, and Rot- Rottweilers, you know, they, they get bad press, but if they, if you get them Did as a you? puppy and, and, you, and you raise them well, they make very loyal yes, and yes. gentle pets. Yeah. Oh, they are, they are, they are. I mean, she's her life, both of them. They love each other. Do you know, know what I mean? I know, God I love know. them. Now, yeah, look, yeah, we, we, yeah. the only way we can help is maybe pop up the GoFundMe on our Twitter and we'll, and we'll do that. But it's it's the cost of it, like 4,000 euro for I know, isn't it astronomical? It's very, right? very expensive, you know. It's very... And look, she's very... Look, my, mm-hmm. I've said this before. My, my, my daughter is a, is a veterinary nurse and if she was sitting here, she'd explain exactly why it is expensive. Oh, but right. it is expensive, like... It's very it expensive. It is, I know. I nearly died where I said, what? And I asked the vet on Friday and she said, yes, it will be that much all right, you know? Yeah. Jesus, outrageous, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we had our own, little, our own, our own little doggy uh, had to go to the vet yes. during the summer after an accident, an accident with her own oh God, brother, as it was, yes. two, with two dogs. Oh, jeez. And they, they were yes, playing, yeah. and as, as doggies do zoomies, is what they call it. They yes, they snarling yes and, I know. And a little accident. And the little yes, yes. cost the bones of 400 quid to fix. You, know? you see, she on my seat tonight, I know, yeah, I know, they're very expensive, like they are. I know, I know. You know? Look, we, we share the GoFundMe, and with a, better, with a bit of luck, uh, it, it might be able to get a beautiful little dog, and I hope that it'll, everything will be okay. And thank you very much for that. 0818 96 96 96. But vet bills, look, vet bills are very high. They are very high. They're higher, in a, in a way. I guess. I, my one of my someone said that the reason vet bills are high is because first of all your patient can't tell you what's wrong you have to figure out what's wrong which is a fair analysis also another reason you're you're, you're for the most part and I love the way the person who was saying this for the most part a doctor's patients don't bite but they are expensive oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six Lucas Hello. Hi, good morning. Buenas, my friend. You found an iPad in Dublin. Yes. What happened? Yeah, I was going to the work on, on Sunday morning, and I found close to the Mater Hospital here in Dublin uh, an iPad with, with the case. Uh, was uh, morning was raining, and then it was completely wet, so I just dry out, and I'm trying to find the owner. Um, but the iPad has a password, so obviously I cannot do anything. Yeah. And I'm not able to connect this to the Wi-Fi, so then the owner can locate the, 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 the iPad. The only thing I managed to find, apparently it's for a person called Cloda, and her home on the iPad it's set up in Mayfield, which I believe it's an area in Cork. It is. It is indeed. It isn't. And how did you find that? Is there a name on the case or something, Lucas? Uh, no. When you turn on the airdrop on the iPad, uh, like I, I was trying to send a picture with my phone number so the person could access through the iCloud. Sure. Uh, so I could find the name of like Clodus uh, iPad Pro. And then on when you switch for the right on the main screen, it gives you like the the look like the person can set up the, the, the home location so you just say Mayfield I see and I, I've, I've been in some Facebook groups on Cork like buy and save and stuff or sure. lost and so you were able to you were able to power it up and yes. but you can't connect it to the Wi-Fi it was, it was on actually it was, oh, it was on, on and what did you did you find it? you were able to locate it on your own phone was it yes yes I was using my iPhone I was 
I, I was able to find the the, 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 the person's name, like the Cloda's the address. So it's Cloda. Okay. But there is no information, like there is nothing, like the person didn't like put like sticker in the back with phone number or something. Sure, sure, sure. Oh. Could you just maybe describe, maybe describe the case to me? It's a, it's a black case, very standard for iPads with like a magnet on the back. Okay, standard one. Fairly standard. Uh, yeah, standard one. Okay. It's an iPad Pro uh, okay. um, on the back. Oh, it's an iPad Pro? It's an iPad Pro, yeah. Oh, it's an expensive piece of kit. Yeah, and like I feel so bad because it, it was kind of in front of the matter hospital, and I was just thinking about like maybe someone from Mayfield came to Dublin to visit the hospital because she has some injury and lost the iPad. Which or, or, or Lucas, maybe someone is working. In the yes, yeah, yeah there has to be. Because it could think a, it might have been someone going in. That's like those little cases, and I know this myself because I, I have an iPad, and it could fall out of a of a of a backpack or something quite easily. Yes. And there is a picture of two kids. It's a boy and a girl. Okay. Okay. Well, and there is, a, there is a truck in the back as well. Very good. So probably could be a trucker or the father or something like that. Okay. Well, look, do you know what we've done? Thank you so much for getting in touch. And we will put out a call to see, can we find a Cloda from Mayfield who has lost an iPad Pro? You say you found it Sunday. On Sunday morning, yeah. Sunday morning. About what time? About 8 a.m. Okay. 8 o'clock Sunday morning, iPad Pro in a black case, found uh, outside the Matter Hospital in Dublin. You were able to use your own iPhone to figure out that it's Cloda's iPad, and you believe she's from Mayfield, and there's a picture of two kids. In it. Lucas, thank you very much. And who's, who knows, we might just, and if we do have any luck with this, we, we, we can put you all in touch. And that would, wouldn't that be absolutely just the business if we could find that person? So here we go. We got an iPad Pro, which is an expensive piece of kit, which was found outside the Matter Hospital in Dublin on Sunday morning at around eight o'clock. And Lucas has been able to tap into it using his iPhone and found that it is Cloda's iPad. And he's been able to locate it as Mayfield. The home location on it is Mayfield. And he believes Mayfield is in Cork. He was right about that. And he's now wondering if anybody that you know, if Cloda, like Cloda, maybe Cloda could be a doctor or a nurse at the matter or a student or something. But certainly it's a good piece of kit. An iPad, iPad Pro is a good piece of kit. I don't have an iPad Pro. I can't afford an iPad Pro. Um, can we help with that? Do we know of anyone who... Did you get a call at the weekend from your pal, Cloda, or your sister, Cloda, to know, oh, geez, I lost me flipping iPad. Yeah. Oh, wait. Thank you, Lucas. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Quick reminder to you that we're back with our friends at Cork Simon this Christmas, trying to help to fight homelessness. And we want you once again to plan a Christmas jumper day to raise those vital funds. You can do it anywhere. Do it at home. Do it at work. Do it at school. Do it online. You get a fundraising pack at CorkSimon.ie with all the information there and uh, help us here at 96FM to fight homelessness in Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Now we hear that <clears throat> how many days is it? Is it 40 or is it 39? I think it's what? It's 39 days to Christmas today. 
39 days to Christmas and we understand from our sources at the North Pole, very well placed sources at the North Pole, that Santa is struggling. Santa is struggling to lay his hands on quite a lot of toys. Supply chains, even at the North Pole, supply chains are an issue. Not to mind the fact that the elves are looking for a pay rise and their union has gone into hard negotiation. Hard negotiation with Santa. But we'll see. Uh, Ralph Regal from the Irish Independent is is following this story. Supply chains at the North Pole had troubled Ralph to say the least and some toys could be in short supply. Morning. Yeah, morning, PJ. Yeah, the one thing is, in fairness to Santa, he's magic. So I think he will sort out all this, but certainly it's a bit of a headache for a lot of the toy store owners. So essentially what it, what it is is that the one that I was actually very surprised by was the PlayStation 5 because that was actually launched 18 months ago. Yes. And I was under the assumption that, well, production would be well and truly into full steam at this stage. But apparently the global shortage of computer processor chips and other components has, I mean, it's affected car production, it's affected um, computer production, and apparently it has even hit toys. So, for instance, the PlayStation 5 is actually really difficult to get your hands on at the moment. Um, We checked with 24, uh, there was a price survey done for the Irish Independent, and 24 different toy stores, and none of them actually had the PlayStation 5 in stock. Now, there are major supplies expected um, at the end of November, but what's very interesting is that there were people selling second-hand PlayStation 5s on the internet for more than the actual retail price to buy it new. So I think that really underlines just how the demand has spiralled. But across, um, I mean, if you take, say, the more the more normal toys, PJ, um, there's going to be significant demand for the special edition toys this year. So one of the toys that I was actually quite pleased to see making a major, major kind of come back is Lego. Yeah. So Lego has, has become hugely popular in the last couple of years and largely because the Danish toy maker has linked up, has done some very clever marketing deals with the likes of um, you know, Harry Potter, um, the Marvel Universe, whatever, and they've done special sets. Now, no one will have any problem buying Lego or sorting Lego or Santa Claus getting his hands on Lego this Christmas. But if you're looking for a very special set, those may be in, in scarce supply. And some of the other big selling toys as well may also be, um, again, you know, supply may not match the demand because people are going to go for the toys that the likes of, say, World of Wonder, um, Smith's, Hamley's in London, they've kind of got their top 10 toy list. So the toys that are towards the top of that list, they're going to be in great demand. Okay. All right. So, as you say, Santa is magic, and Santa will sort what Santa can. And the Elves Union, he's dealing with them um, at the moment. That'll all be fine. But it's the it's the toy shops, and particularly things like the like the PlayStation Five and a few others like it. Ralph, thank you, Ralph Regal, from uh, the Irish Independent. PJ Coogan on the opinion line. Silver winner. Silver winner, best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Cork's 96FM. This discussion, such as it is, has been going on, and I went to some research about it. It's been going on now for a few years. Elf on the Shelf, thankfully, 
it never found its insidious little way into our house because by the time Elf on the Shelf became a thing, Santa had kind of ceased to be a thing in, in our house. You know, your kids get to a certain age and then Santa moves on to smaller kids. So just make sure there's enough to go around. But <laughs> Elf on the Shelf, I laugh. A man who came up in conversation for all the sad reasons of feelings passing, Stephen Teep often talks about Elf on the Shelf in his house and I know loads of my friends have small children and Elf on the Shelf and you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, oh no the bloody Elf and you have to get up and you go downstairs and you have to move the little shagger off the mantelpiece and move him onto the chair Tis more trouble than it's worth but it's fun, or is it though? Because now people are saying, well, Elf on the Shelf could actually be frightening for your children and lead to stress and maybe an idea that an elf is watching them. Are they being spied upon? And is that elf is naughty, do you see? If he's a naughty elf, is, is he misbehaving? And, and then... Are the children misbehaving and blaming the elf? People get paid a lot of money to dis- discuss these things. They have lots of ologies for it. But seriously, though, apparently elf on the shelf, elf on the shelf, can make children anxious. Is the elf watching me? What's the elf doing today? Are they afraid to make mistakes because the elf is watching? You know, is there like the idea that 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 a little elf is watching the child, and Big Brother, like, is it making children anxious? Could it make children anxious? Now, to me, this looks like a whole load of old hooey. But then again, Elf in the Shelf was never a thing in my house. Um, it was in many houses I know of, but did it ever make anyone anxious? Like, did ever did children? ever get afraid of the elf? Do you know? Uh, Yeah, some other expert quoted here, I found this article um, from a few years ago, one of the American newspapers. It has the potential to normalise surveillance culture and set a precedent at an early age that a child should have no expectation of privacy. What? It has the potential to normalise surveillance culture and set a precedent at an early age that a children that a child should have no expectation of privacy. Another one says, another one of these boffins says, teaching kids that their every move, every mistake and every misdeed is seen by an authority figure. It's a bloody elf, plastic elf, and might have negative consequences that that can be hard on them. (sighs) Had they nothing better to do? Although there was one therapist based in San Diego who said the elf is a total creep and we might be teaching our kids it's okay for people to watch you. Give me strength. The 10K Toy Giveaway. Fill your Christmas with fun and play. On Cork's 96 FM. Got a pocket full of cash we can blow. Honest to God, did you ever hear the like? 
Did you ever actually hear the like? Where am I going? We have the 10k toy giveaway. 500 euros worth of Smith's Toys vouchers. Two vouchers every evening with Lorraine. We played that little piece that gives you the chance to text or WhatsApp. I've got a simple question for you when we put someone through. And if you get the question right, you go through to talk to Lorraine this evening and maybe win one of our two shopping sprees. Where am I going, lads? Line one, line one. John McSweeney. Hi, how's it going? How are you, sir? I'm you... good, and yourself? Very good. Oh, your son had an interesting birthday last Friday. 11, 11, 11. Exactly, that's it. So he's after saying to me that if I get, uh, if I get the phone call for this, that I have to come down and take him out of school straight away. I don't know what about that one now, but... Well, well, it's quarter to twelve, and you've got eleven. I love that eleven. He was born on the eleventh of November, twenty eleven. So he's eleven now. Yeah, yeah. So and he's he eleven, mi- eleven, eleven, and he's eleven now as well. And so. he had to miss his party. Yeah, he missed his party. So he was sick all last week. So he had a party supposed to happen on Friday, and um, it never happened because he was sick. So he was devastated. Well, well, it might make a, a nice little sort of a consolation prize. If we could get him through to the draw, get his dad through to the draw for this evening with Lorraine. So there's a lot resting on this, John Sweeney. There is. There's a lot resting on this. <laughs> it's an A or B answer for me, all right? Finish yeah. the title of the popular Christmas song. Is it fairy tale of A, Chicago, or B, New York? New York. New York. I think at this stage, if you couldn't get that, you probably shouldn't be allowed out on your own. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. (laughs) John, listen, all I can do for you is tell you that you are now through to this evening's draw. Brilliant. Which Lorraine will make on the big drive home. There are two prizes every day of 500 euros, Smith's Toys, Superstores, gift cards. So good luck. What's, What's your son's name? Alex. All right, well, here's hoping that we can make Alex's day uh, this evening on Cork's 96 of M. Cheers, John. Great stuff. Thanks for being Cheers, man. That's John Sweeney, latest qualifier, and Lorraine will make the draw. Wayne will have another qualifier later on, and then Lorraine will make the draw uh, this evening on the big drive home. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a few weeks ago, we were talking to Corey Power, Corey's a well-known busker around town and he does a lot of stuff on TikTok and we were talking to him about videos on TikTok and the power of TikTok, you know, in being a musician and and all of that. And the reason we were talking to Corey Power was because of a little lad that he met on his travels. He was busking downtown and this little chap came up to him and, and they had a conversation and the little lad sang a song and Corey did a TikTok and before you know it, TikTok had half a million views. I kid you not. You want to sing a song? I will. Yeah, what song do you want to sing, man? I don't know. I sing any song. What's your name? Caden. Caden. Yeah. Lovely to meet well, you. Will you mind that there while I sing it? Of course I can, mate. It's a chicago. Yeah. That is so cool, man. I love that. All right. So that is the little video. And then Caden went on to sing. That's the little video that went viral on TikTok and made a star out of young Caden. Um, 
Caden's mom is Chloe. He's Caden Slattery. Chloe Slattery joins me. Chloe, you say you were in work when this was all happening, so you knew nothing about it until halfway through. Good morning. Good morning. Um, no, I was actually in work, and it was actually one of my managers in work. He was after finishing work, so he was after texting me, and loads of other people were after texting me. And um, my phone was blowing up, and I was like, what is going on? And then I actually, someone sent it to me, so I ended up only seeing the end of it myself, because, as I said, I was in work. Yeah. Were you surprised to see he just walked straight up to to get a curry? Not at all, because, I mean, that's Caden out now, like. Tell us a bit about him. I mean, he's mad for music, clearly, and he has a bit of talent, like. He is. Do you know what? Now he won't even clean his room without music. Um, but he, I mean, he's like that since he's about two. Like he'd literally talk to anyone. He talks to the wall if the wall would talk back to him. Like yeah, yeah. He knows the rules though, because I mean, he he wouldn't take an offer of a sandwich. Like he he knew exactly what not to do as well as what to do. Oh yeah, definitely. He's it's like he's been here before. Like he's <laughs> way before his time. Like before I talked to him, how old is he? I mean, he's six since August. Right. Yeah. Like you said, here before. Yeah, definitely. All right. Is he there? He is. Hiya. Caden, my man, how are you? Your your mom is more nervous than you are. Tell me what happened that day. Corey told me from his side. What happened? So, what actually happened? Yeah. So, I was there with my nan. (laughs) She was there across the road from me and Corey. Yeah. And before I even noticed that um, I was singing with him, but then he said, do you want to sing a song? And I said, yes. Yeah. He said, we go to the pub, but I said, we just drink seven up because I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> then I went over to my nan. We went up to my mum's manager, and that's really what just yeah. happened. Tell me about music, though. You love music, and you love that song, Coldplay. You do, don't you? And the other one, Business. Yeah. They're your favourite songs, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Why is Fix You such a great song? What's uh, my favourite song? Mammy listens to when she's doing her cleaning, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. Yeah? All Mam's secrets are coming out. Caden, <laughs> you're only six, like... You're, you're great. So you just walked up... To, and did you know Corey at all? Like, no? Well, my man does. I don't. Right. He would have seen a few of his videos already on TikTok with me. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he just, just walked straight up to me. And do you think, Caden, that you might like to be a singer someday? Yeah. When you saw all the people that loved the video, what did you think? Yeah. I'm TikTok famous. <laughs> there you are. There you see. You're bright out. TikTok. And that's a very big famous to be because... Corey was was only talking to me about videos and how important TikTok is for a young star. So there you are at only six and you've been seen by half a million people. Well. You're delighted, aren't you? Yeah. Weak. You're telling everyone you're TikTok famous. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What was I just going to say? I don't know. What were you going to say? What was I going to say, man? I don't, I, don't I don't know. know I don't know, kid. You didn't say it yet, Mike. Come on. It's gone out of my head. That's all right. Come here. What was brilliant, you know, was you didn't take the sandwich because you know the rules. Yeah. What are the rules? So if 
if strangers say come up, I have sweets, you say no. You just call your mom or whoever's minding you. Good man, good man. And you never go with strangers, so you don't? No. No. Man, there's no up on your bed. I know, love. <laughs> he's wise beyond his years, isn't he, Chloe? He is, yeah. Uh, he's always been like that, though. Like, I mean, since he can talk, he's been like that. Yeah. Caden, your mum tells me that you need music to clean your room. I know, I do. <laughs> How is the room right now? Like, is it a neat cleaning? Uh, yeah. Small bit, yeah. It's small bit. I have to get out all the bottles and stuff in a minute. Bottles? His bottles of juice. I see, okay. He so tends to not take things out of the bin. What song will you listen to while you're taking out the bottles of juice? Uh-huh. That's a new favourite song. The one that I always sing, what's it called? Because if you can, if you can think of it, I might be able to play it. Feel like, um, Keen, what's his name? Keen Ducrow. Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah, I was allowed to watch it now. I show you, but I can't. Oh yeah, you're not allowed to watch YouTube. Yeah, but I'm, I could only show you now if I was allowed to honest, but I'm not allowed to watch it. You're not allowed to watch YouTube. What's 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 his name though, Caden? Keen. D- Candy Crow, I think. Candy Crow, yeah. Okay, but you know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to play that for you. Okay. All right? Because I love that song too. And that's... Do you know what? Before you were TikTok famous, Candy Crow was TikTok famous. He was, yeah. And and you know what happened? The last time I was talking to Candy Crow about being TikTok famous... Then he goes and he has a song in the in the top ten. So who knows? No, no, he's a bit more than six. But but but, but who knows? You might have a song in the top ten too. I will. Yeah. Would you like? Would you like that? You would. Yeah. All right. Come here. What's Santa going to bring to you? I don't really know. Yes, I'm talking to my mum about it, but I didn't get to finish it. Yeah. Do you know what you might like? Army stuff, because I already have guards. Army and guards. All right. Well, we'll have to have that word with Santa, but we can have a word with the music people and we can play a key and do crow for you. It's been brilliant to talk to you, Caden. Thank you. And keep on getting more and more famous. You're a great lad. Chloe, he's he's a gas. He's a star in the making. Take care. Thanks a million. All for you, especially for Caden and his mom, Chloe. That's it for today. The programme edited by Eamon O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow just after nine. PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line. Silver winner. Silver winner. Best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks 96 FM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.